0: There's lots to speak about, Uh, so let's uh, get underway. Welcome to everyone. Uh, Our subject tonight, of course, we are continuing our studies week by week. So we're doing Parshas Vayera tonight, and we are uh, drawing on the very uh, creative teachings of Rabbi Yaakov Zvi Mecklenburg, the author of HaKsav And as we shall see. His style is to analyze closely the words, the derivation of the words, and frequently to discover Possibly previously um, unrecognized nuances in the words themselves Endage. to uh, reveal, as I say, very fascinating and, and original uh, approaches. So, our subject tonight, according to the way we circulated the title of the shear, is Abraham and Sarah's unexpected guests. So, let's meet them. Uh, Abraham is sitting outside his tent, Kachom Hayom, the heat of the day the third day after his uh, circumcision, according to our tradition. Certainly, it is. Uh, it appears in the Torah immediately after the description of his circumcision. And the uh, three uh, wayfarers, uh, they don't actually approach him. He approaches them. He runs to greet them, etc., as is very well known. And he welcomes them into his house. He importunes them to uh, uh, refresh themselves, to wash their feet, to have something to eat. And he personally attends... To to them, he instructs the is the, the lad, probably Ishmael, to participate as well. He says to Sarah, quickly prepare uh, a bread for them, Ugos. And uh, okay, they're having a feast. So the Torah says in Pasuk Ches, so it's uh, Chapter 18, Verse 8. He took uh, butter and uh, the Benhabakar, uh, the the calf, the uh, that he prepared for them. We're not going to discuss now the question of milk and meat. That's safe for another time. He is standing uh, over them as they sit beneath the tree eating. Okay, they eat and they've finished eating now. And they say to him, to Avram, where's your wife, Sarah? We thought we'd find her here. She's in the tent. Behold, she's in the tent. So, Khsafa Kabbalah asks, uh, makes a couple of observations. Why are they asking about Sarah altogether? So that question already Rashi also was interested in. Rashi says, well, it could be it's teaching us good manners, courtesy, that uh, it's appropriate to ask after his wife, his children. He doesn't have too many children, but, you know, to ask after his wife. You speak to to a woman who is married. You say, how is your husband? It's Derek Kheretz to inquire. Then Rashi says another possibility may be to endear her to him. Uh, in order to like uh, uh, bring up her uh, sort of um, memory to Avraham. she's not here right now uh, but to ask after her and she's in the tent maybe because she's so modest she's in the tent. The problem is that the word aye means where, but it's a different word than the usual word which is AFO. Afo means where Aye also means where. Now for those who've been with us over the weeks in Parsha's Bereshis already we discovered, that uh, Ksava Kabbalah says that the word eifo means where, that is to say geographically, spatially, where is that person, where can that person be found? Aye means where, it's an expression of surprise, he's not where I thought he would be. Hashem says to Adam, Ayeka, where are you? It doesn't just mean which tree are you near, which waterfall in the garden, or which uh, beautiful vista have you gone to visit for a picnic uh, this afternoon. It doesn't mean where. When Hashem says to Adam, Ayeka, it means what has become of you? Why are you now in the company of the serpent when you were on such a high level just a short while ago, as we explained at the time? So here as well, Ishtacha. They don't want to know where is she what they mean is why isn't she here and that is a good question it's a very sensible question because Abraham we just said is 137 we didn't say but he was 137 years old uh actually he was I'm sorry later on I'm getting the 137 a bit later. Uh, Abraham was 99 years old and he had just had this circumcision and he was recovering and it would be natural for the hostess, to set the table, to uh, greet the guests, to welcome them, to take orders, to bring them food. Okay, you could say, look, she's the mistress, she's got household staff to do it, but does she have to outsource it all to her husband, to Abe? And where is she? She's not here at all. So that's why they're asking, where is she? She should be involved as well. Why isn't she entertaining the guests? Isn't she the hostess with the mostess? Then, the word hine means Always surprise. It's even rendered in the English, behold. Here in the article, it says, and he said, behold in the tent. You don't need behold. He could just say, he, ba-o-hel, or just, ba-o-hel, ba-o-hel. where is she? She's in the tent. Why, he, nay? What's the surprise on the he, nay? Of course, it goes together in a way that they say, where is she? And, and he says, well, she's actually not here. She's not available right now. Why not? So Rashi already says why she's not available. Rashi says in the previous verse, in Pasukhes Rashi observes the food he gave them doesn't mention the bread that she prepared. So Rashi says that she got her period at that time, and as a result, they were accustomed to observing certain um, uh, high levels of purity, and therefore, they didn't want to serve bread that had been prepared by a woman who suddenly found herself to have uh, her, her period. But that is notable, as we know, because take a look at the next verse. Uh, Pasuk Yud. Okay, they say we're coming back in a year. Sarah's going to have a child. Then in Yud Aleph, take a look in verse 11. They were elderly, full of days. Sarah wasn't getting her period anymore. The way of women had ceased for her. She was already menopausal. So therefore, the idea that she's going to have a child at that stage in her life seemed, uh, whether laughable or maybe delightful. Sarah laughed within her, in, inside, uh, to herself, after I am old and worn out, will, I, will my youthfulness return to me? Valdoniz game besides which my husband is also old. So Rashi says, Edna, means youthful beauty, a youthful suppleness of skin, youthful uh, glow, but it also alludes to the fact that she is actually asserting, hey, I have become youthful again. I have indeed. Her laugh was not one of skepticism. It was a, was one of delight that she was saying that actually my youthfulness has returned to me because I have just gotten my period again. So the first, the the previous posting in, in verse 11 says she wasn't, she was, uh, after menopause, but in the next passage new base, it seems that actually she did get her period. According to Ksav Kabbalah, it all fits together beautifully. They said, "Where is she? She should be here." They were surprised she wasn't present while they were having their their meal. she wasn't, as I said, serving as the hostess. Abraham says suddenly he may behold. Actually, quite suddenly she has to. She has had to retire to the tent because actually. Her youthfulness has returned. Orach Kanashim means the way of the women, the way, the path of women. But do you know, the word Orach also is the same word for Oreach, for guest. Avraham is entertaining the guests because Sarah has a guest of her own. That is Orach Kanashim, that she has her own Oreach that has come to her for. A, a an an unexpected basis and that is why she was in the tent so of course the the angels in fact they weren't it's only superficially they were saying where is she you know we need um or we expect to see her rather they were hinting to abraham there's a reason why she's not here that uh foreshadows that that portends the fact that she will indeed Bear a child. And maybe that was Avram's response when he said, Hine in a kind of discreet way, he said she's in the tent because she's not circulating with all the guests and all the visitors now because of her uh, sudden status. She has a guest of her own. Okay, let's go on now to, as I said, it is an eventful parsha. I want to turn to a different subject a bit later on. Take a look, please, at Pasuk Chaf Hei. Verse twenty five. So the angels have moved on to uh, well they're on the, they are on their way to Sodom, and Hashem says to himself, maybe uh, shall I withhold from Abraham my intention, what I'm going to do to Sodom because of their wickedness? After all, Abraham is going to teach his progeny after him about the path of justice, tzedakah u mishpat. So indeed, Abraham steps forward, and in a very, very famous uh, exchange, he begins to remonstrate with God. Look at Apostle Chafei. It would be sacrilege for you to do such a thing, to bring death upon the righteous, along with the wicked. will the judge of all the earth and not perform justice loya semishpa again i keep saying very famous and rabbis and others have made much of this and i don't mean to to um uh, detract from the the power of the simple understanding that abraham uh in a courageous and almost uh assertive manner, is negotiating with God. And he even says, it would be sacrilege for you. Ksavah Kabbalah asks, however, you know, uh, this, uh, okay, so Rashi, says, so it's It's a word that means chol or chulin as opposed to kadosh, holiness. So like, uh, when I say uh, on Mitzray Shabbos, when we make Kavdal, we say hamavdil ben kodesh, L'chol. Chol is mundane or maybe even profane. Chilul Shabbat is to profane the Sabbath. Chilul Hashem is to profane the name of God. So Chalila lacha Me'asos, so Rashi says, it will be chulin for you, the opposite of Kedusha. But Rav Mecklenburg is a sensitive soul. And he says, is it right for the Torah to reveal to us, to present to us, the way Abraham spoke to God, it's like a sacrilege. It's like a profanity for you. He says a person who is speaking even to a, uh, an earthly uh, potentate, his boss, his rabbi, dare I say, someone whom he respects or looks up to, would he speak in that way? It's sacrilege for you. Okay, sacrilege is a kind of a Victorian word, uh, uh truthy probably winces when i use a word like that uh, you know to to profane i mean there are there are maybe coarser words i don't want to use them it's inappropriate or so it would seem for abraham to address god in that way besides which look very closely now khalila <laughs> it's sacrilege for you it should say im ta'aseh. if you do this it would be sacrilege khalila im ta'aseh. if you do it or He should say, it would be wrong for you to to do that, but is is imprecise. So he says that the, the Torah here maybe has a completely different meaning. So it should have said, if you do this. But it says, it's like, it's if you don't do it. Which, of course, is not the point. The point is that you have to, uh, Avram is saying to God, you have to desist from your plan because to do so would be sacrilege. But the language doesn't actually support that. Says Riyakot Zvi Mecklenburg, a novel idea. He says, Chalila, which I have always understood to mean the way Rashi explains it and the way I've just said, Chilul Shabbat, Chilul Hashem, Chasve Khalila. These are expressions which are very familiar to us. He says the word Khalil may have a different meaning entirely. He says we have the expression lo yachel dvaro. A man or a woman takes a vow, a vow to uh, give charity, for example. Just as an example. The Torah says lo yachel dvaro. He shall not profane his words. But it has another related meaning. Lo yachel is to delay. If a person pledges charity even if he just does it you know in his own mind even like it says when a person for example uh recites Yizkar and it's customary it's part of the whole point of Yizkar is to pledge tzedakah at that time even though he's not making a public pledge he's certainly not in writing on Yom Tov uh, morning in, in shul but nevertheless when a person makes that uh commitment, even in his own mind, he has to fulfill it, and he should fulfill it in timely fashion. And there's a definition of what's timely or not timely. means do not delay. Do not uh, uh, like uh, uh, cancel the intention by prevarication, procrastination, failure, and delay. Uh, it's don't cancel it, don't neglect your commitment. Or we had in Parshas Noach two weeks ago, he waited a further seven days. Is to wait, is to delay, says Ray Yakut Mecklenburg, a beautiful and brilliant idea. Halila this is not remonstrating with God, this is a prayer. Halila he's saying to Hashem, please delay, don't act so quickly. That is to say, you may feel as if there, um, like uh, time has, has run out, your patience has been expended. Vavakasha, he says, hamteina, delay, kadavar and desist yeah. from doing what you intend to do. And according to that, the language fits in perfectly. He's praying to Hashem. He says, chalila please delay, measos, from doing what you intend to do. And in this way, the, the mem is perfect. delay, desist, uh, uh, wait, and maybe cancel the intention, measos. And according to this, he says, I'll just read you what he says in the Hebrew, the letter mem is perfect. And there's no coarseness. There's no crassness here. There's no sense that is Abraham really uh, addressing God, in that way, there's no, as we said before, a uh, sense of impropriety, according to this completely different and novel, and I think beautiful interpretation, Uh, which again, um, you might question whether it really is the shot within the context, but certainly the words fit in perfectly. Okay, I want to now talk about another example of prayer. I think it's the first place in the Torah where we have the word lehitz And interestingly, Avraham is not praying, I mean, the word, Avraham does pray on a number of other occasions, but the Torah doesn't make use of the word, which is the usual word for tefillah, and we don't find it earlier, I don't think, until we find it later on in our parsha. If you take a look at chapter 20, turn to chapter 20, verse 17. If you're using the stone chumash, the article one is page 94. Abraham prayed for for um Avimelech. Now, actually, for those who will be with us on Shabbos, I hope you are coming. For those whom it's accessible, we're going to speak on Shabbos about uh, I say a little prayer for you. Um before Aretha Franklin came up with it, uh, already the mefarshim speak about Abraham's prayer for Avimelech. So that's on Shabbos. But for now, I want to share with you the approach suggested by Ksavah Kabbalah about the word the Hit palel, the word tefillah, a very a word that we use often, uh, an activity in which we engage regularly. And he explains the derivation of the word. Many of my followers speak about it really because it's not such a familiar word. There are many words for prayer that we find in the Torah and in the Tanakh. The Talmud mentions many different terms for prayer. But the main word for prayer is tefillah, and that is found here. Avraham prays, and it's successful because uh, his prayer, uh, Hashem responds to his prayer, and Avimelech, who was a scoundrel, but nevertheless, having returned Sarah unharmed, Avraham now prays for Avimelech's recovery and the members of his household. Okay. That's just the, the context of it. But we're going to look just at the word. So he says, says, what most of the Farshim say, that the root of the word tefillah is palel, pe lamed lamed, palel, which again, that word is not so common. It means to judge. But he explains further. He says it's psak The word palel uh, um, refers to the judgment which is handed down, which is a definitive, which decides between the two disputants who is in the right, who is in the wrong, who prevails, who has to, uh, uh, who is, uh, you know, forced to acknowledge the, 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 that he's in the in the wrong, who has to pay, who's going to, uh, so to speak, uh, profit uh, when there is a dispute, and there may be some kind of compromise as well. But the function of a psak Din is to, disentangle the two parties. Each one says, I'm right, and whatever they're disputing about, each one claims it. The Psaq Din has the effect of separating, clarifying, and distinguishing. And like we find the Pasa, he has many examples. I just mentioned one very familiar to us. It says, uh, When God will distinguish, it's a bit related to the word Pele, which means uh, uh, extraordinary or distant, but the word pei lamed hay means to distinguish or to separate. The repetition of the letter lamed, palal, pei, lamed lamed, is lahaflaga for intensity, uh, a, a, a definitive separation, a dis- definitive distinction between the two parties. So that's why the word palal is a reference to judgment, to handing down a judgment. And like we have the expression, when a son we'll find, I think it's Parshas mishpatim, when a son he will give, it will, that is to say, he will pay out to his um, to his victim or to the one whom he has wrong, flilim, in accordance with the judgment of the courts. What does all this have to do with prayer? So, I have said many times, uh, because I've seen it in, in uh, Moforshim, that lehit palel means to stand in self-judgment. And I think there's truth to that. I'm not backing away from it. I'm telling you a very different approach, though. He says tefillah, where's the separation? Wh- why emphasize this idea? But, but he says that's, that's what the word pele means. It means to separate, to distinguish. He says that this is a request, this is a a man who prays, he's importuning God, he's importuning his creator to create a distinction between, that is to say, to separate between him and between his misfortune. When I pray, I'm in a way engaged As if to say in a, not a dispute exactly, but I am, uh, uh, I feel the circumstances that I face are not to my liking and I'd like them to change. So it's as if I'm asking Hashem to judge between me and between the circumstances that, uh, that I'm, with which I'm contending. So I'm asking Hashem to separate me from my misfortune to separate me from my distress or from the enmity of others. And actually, in this case, Abraham is not really praying for himself. He's praying for Avimelech. But nevertheless, Abraham says, Avimelech's uh, distress is part of my distress. And therefore, I am praying that you should separate him from his misfortune, from his illness, from his, uh, in another scenario, from his poverty or from his his. Perhaps you know, self-imposed troubles, but nevertheless, whether I pray for him or for her or for them or for me, I'm asking Hashem to separate that person from the circumstances. This is a novel approach to the word to filah the hitpal to invoke the judgment of the one who will not only judge but will carry out. He's within his capacity to carry out the sentence as well, the judgment as well. This is the word. Tefillah, according to Yacob Zvi Mecklenburg, from the word Palel, to judge, but from the word Pele, to separate, and to separate me from my misfortune or the circumstances that I face, which are not to my liking. Lastly, I'd like to still, in the last minutes we have, look at yet another different uh, event in our Parsha. This is towards the end of the parsha uh, in chapter 22, which is the climactic uh, conclusion of the Torah reading, which I hope you remember uh, is the Akedah uh, Silsat, the binding of Isaac when uh, Hashem told Avraham about what is, I would imagine we would agree, the most uh, uh, testing of the 10 trials uh, to which Avraham was uh, uh, subjected or with which he was he was uh, tried. But I want to focus just because our time is limited on a last thought. Look at chapter 22, verse 3. So Hashem says to Avraham, Take your son, your only son, your beloved son, Isaac, and go to a, uh, the land of Moriah and offer him up as a sacrifice. Or some would say, doesn't say explicitly sacrifice, uh, you know, bring him up, place him upon the altar. Perhaps it doesn't say explicitly, you know, to light the match. But, okay, uh, the, uh, you know, to slaughter him, to light the match. But certainly that is the implication. Right away, in Pasuk Gimel, the very next verse, Vayashkem Abraham Baboke, Abraham woke up early in the morning. The word Vayashkem is to arise early. It has the connotation of uh, alacrity, zeal, enthusiasm, eagerness. He got up early in the morning. Not only that, Avraham is uh, a man of years. He's 137 years old at this time, according to our tradition. He is a person of uh, wealth, and uh, surely he could have somebody else uh, be his uh, stable hand to uh, uh, prepare the, the chamor, the donkey for the journey. I mean, he's got two lads who are mentioned, although not by name, but there's a reference to them. But it seems that he didn't tell them to do the job; he did it himself. Rashi says, "Ahava mekalkeles is hashura." That love disrupts, distorts the natural order of priorities. In other words, the priority would be he would appoint his uh, uh, one of the stable hand for that job. I once said it's like if. Uh, uh, Prince Charles uh, fills up his own car with uh, uh, petrol. You know, he goes into the Shell station, he gets out, and it's, you know, it's all self-service nowadays. And, uh, you know, he does, And uh, such a thing would be certainly out of character, unusual, especially I'm sure he's got an electric vehicle and all of that. But in any case, uh, so Xavah Kabbalah says that the alacrity, the zrizus, the enthusiasm that he did all of this quickly and with great uh, uh, joy, with great desire, intense desire. And he says that uh, we learn, the, Rashi says, from here we learn the principle, is it not remarkable that the principle that the those who are alacritous are quick to do mitzvot is derived from this most ironic example where the mitzvah, the commandment that is placed upon Abram is the most onerous commandment, the commandment which you would have thought a person would naturally look for every reason to delay or at least as I said to outsource it to give someone else the, the, the you know some of the tasks to do. but he did it himself in his eagerness and he says that Zvizus is the greatest uh, reflection of excitement of enthusiasm and joy. And he says, this is why, later on, uh, when they do arrive, and they do climb the mountain, and Yitzhak is bound upon the altar, and Avram is holding the knife in his hand, the malach, the angel, calls him heaven, and what does he say? Avraham, Avraham, repeats his name. Why say it twice? Says the Ksava Kabbalah, because Avram is so enthused with what he's doing, he's acting so quickly, he didn't hear him the first time. He was so devoted, he was concentrating with such zeal and such eagerness to fulfill the word of God, he didn't hear him the first time. That's why he had to say, Avraham, Avraham. This is the principle of Simcha Shel Mitzvah. Of course, ultimately, Hashem told Avraham, like we just said, uh, desist. he stayed his hand. It was only um, a test... Uh, We're not going to the philosophy of understanding what's the significance of the test, but what I would just like to leave you with for tonight is this message that every mitzvah is a pleasure. Every mitzvah is an opportunity. Of course, naturally, some mitzvahs are more joyful than others. Some mitzvahs, by their nature, are pleasing and and, and pleasurable to do. Um, Other mitzvahs, less so. But the fact that it's a mitzvah, is a reason for joy, for enthusiasm, for excitement, for pleasure, for delight, and for the sense of privilege, even this most extreme onerous mitzvah, which of course ultimately was uh, recalled at the last moment. So it's just about 8.30, and uh, so we're done with our Ashir. I like to just summarize as we like to do. So we said about Avram and Sar's unexpected guests. So they said, Ayei Sarah Ishtacha, why is she not here? Where is she? Why isn't she here? Why isn't she at the table? And he said, Oh, hell, he it was sudden. It was something unexpected because Avram is entertaining guests and Sarah has a guest of her own. Orach, kanashim and Oreyach, a guest unexpectedly has come to Sarah. And of course, that portends the birth of the child a year later. We said, So sacrilege for you, says it uh, doesn't mean sacrilege here. It means it's a prayer. He's saying to Hashem, delay. Like it says, to to delay and, and maybe to cancel it. So he's praying to Hashem, don't act right away. Give it more time. Delay. Maybe cancel the program altogether. Me'asos. We said, the word tefillah, again, an activity in which we engage regularly, an important uh, fundamental concept. And the derivation of the term, he says, is from the word, uh, which is to separate. And of course, uh, um, um, to judge, because a judgment distinguishes between the two sides. They are entangled with one another. They are claiming the same property, for example, and the judgment is handed down. Who, uh, you know, prevails and who who is is defeated? And the person prays to Hashem, please, I would like to prevail over my unhappy circumstances, whatever misfortune, whatever it may be. And then lastly, we said just now, his enthusiasm, his excitement, his pleasure, and his delight. We learned the principle from all mitzvahs, from this most extreme example, that nevertheless, Abraham's love of Hashem and his love of the mitzvah brought him to do it with joy. With enthusiasm, so maybe for us that we should do omits in that manner in a timely fashion. I say that to myself as well, because that's a lesson that I should also certainly take to heart. So thank you to everyone. I wish you Shabbat Shalom. And um if any questions or comments, I see you, Caesar. So you the first one, Caesar. What's on your mind? Nice to see you. Yeah. I enjoyed it very much. I missed it last week, but I made sure I was here this week. Okay, good for you. Thank you, Caesar. Lovely to see you. I always, always enjoy the share. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Have a lovely Shabbat. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Rabbi Kendall on the share. Rabbi? Excuse me? Mark Kendall is on the share. Hi, Mark. Is that right? From across the sea. Hi. Hi. (laughs) That's amazing. Amazing. I just thought of you today, actually, Mark. I, rec- I remember that you've come to the Shira in the past. And uh, how about that? It's lovely to have you. And I see some, some of our other international uh, friends are here as well. So that's that's wonderful. Rabbi Saman, I have a question for you. Please. Uh, it's interesting that Abram Avinah was asking uh, Hashem to sort of uh, uh, not to rush into a position when it came to Sodom. Yes. When he came to his own son, he kind of loved to do it. It's a good point. I mean, many have observed the uh, extraordinary uh, contrast and the irony that he was prepared to remonstrate with Hashem to try to persuade Hashem to change his plan vis-a-vis the wicked people of Sodom. And with his own son, Abraham, just says, here I am, you know, t- tell, tell me what's, what's on the, the agenda for today or for tomorrow. Um, I, I think that, um, perhaps Abraham felt that it would have been self-serving for him to seek to persuade God, uh, You know, to reject his plan or to reconsider when it has to do with Abraham's own detriment. When Abraham is selflessly speaking up on behalf of others, so his determination and his love of his fellow man uh, knows no bounds, no limitations, and he pleads with God on their behalf. But when it comes to something which is self serving, when it could be seen as just uh, sort of uh, seeking to advance his own personal preferences, then Abraham is the complete and devoted servant uh, to Hashem. But it's a good question. I think uh, one can uh, certainly uh, say more about it. But that is one, one thought which, which comes to mind. I mean, it's it's worth uh, noting, though, actually, uh, Charmaine, that although Abraham did, as we say, remonstrate with Hashem. Ultimately, Hashem did carry out His plan, uh, and Hashem's intention was ultimately fulfilled. Whereas in the case of Abraham sacrificing his son, I don't know if Hashem reconsidered; probably did not reconsider. But actually, the plan developed in such a way that his that Yitzhak was spared. So there is an interesting kind of, uh, uh, you know. Uh, parallelism there almost a mirror image one of the other one, one to the other a very good point thank you okay thank you to everyone and uh wish you uh, shabbat shalom and as i said uh for those who are interested we're doing uh and shabbos we're going to talk about uh, i say a little prayer for you uh to learn about a bit more about avraham and avi Thank you shalom.